The Athletic. For the podcast to um, to assume national average statistics, then I take it that uh, Jack Pitbrook is what four foot eleven, four foot ten. Yeah, that's about right. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. sounds about right yeah, <laughs> in that yeah, ballpark. Yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from the Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly, and I'm joined on the podcast today by James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. It's the immediate uh, hours following the three-two defeat home to Southampton. A game that I thought was of paramount importance for Spurs. I thought they had to get three points because, not because they, you know, they're entitled to three points, but because the run of fixtures they're running into soon is so very difficult that if they are to be genuine contenders for top four rather than some kind of onlookers to the main drama, I felt they had to get three points. And, well, they didn't, Charlie. No. I mean, it was... Yeah, the thing is, they've had quite a few of these arm wrestle type games that could have gone either way and they've tended to win them under contest you know the mind went back the game we were talking about half time was Leeds where they were awful in the first half even worse than they were in the first half against Southampton yesterday and actually went into that game 1-0 down and sort of by force of will came back and won it against Watford they were pretty ropey got the win Leicester I think they actually deserved to win but clearly could have gone either way when you're 2-1 down in the 96th minute and uh Felt a little bit like their luck ran out yesterday and they, they were outplayed. They they didn't deserve, I don't think, to get anything from the game. The The only surprise in a way was that it went the way it did where once they were ahead, you thought, okay, well, they've ridden their luck, file this under, just take the three points and never speak of this game again. Well, your, your point there is well made. When I work on the radio, where I have to at least pretend a veneer of consistency and neutrality. I would be saying how well Southampton played. But I hope that the View from the Lane podcast is mostly listened to by Spurs fans. We don't need to say about how well Southampton played because it's about how difficult that made it for Spurs. Or how, how shit they played, to use uh, the vernacular. James, I can see you. Charlie is, is using nicely constructed English sentences to talk about how Spurs didn't win that game. And I can see you, and I can really see the top, the top third of your body. You appear to be pawing at the ground there. Sorry, just to be clear, I'm six foot five. You cannot see the top third of my body. Okay. Um, are, are you looking to me, me for me to be a bit more direct of my no, analysis? No, well, I'm, happy, I'm happy. I'm happy for you to be. You yeah, happy to, for me just to, to set say out Spurs. the ground? Set out the ground. Yes. Are you happy for me just to say Spurs were shit? Yeah. Is that does that make you feel better? James is literally in a darkened room as well, fittingly. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm never coming out. We're forced by local bylaws and the enormous stipend the Athletic uh, gives each of us to try and analyse why that was. James, would you get out the initial stab? Um. I, I mean, so, so so Charlie has mentioned every game under Conte being an arm wrestler. And this is a thing that Conte has kind of alluded to when he said every game is going to be a struggle. And I do sense that the biggest cause of that is a lack of control in midfield. When, you, when you're playing this system with wing-backs, you're playing of a back three, you are kind of ceding control of the wings in your own half because you're expecting those two wide players to go forward. It's not like a 4-4-2 or 4-5-1 where you're generally going to have two wide players on either flank. In, in this system, with three at the back, you're basically saying you're going to have one player out wide and then you're going to have, be asking others to cover. But when you're playing this 3-4-3 three, three, rather than a 3-5-2, you're ceding control of the wings and you're like at risk of losing control in the centre of midfield. And Southampton last night went back to a system they played a lot under Hassan Hurtle. And it's exactly the system that Manchester United first tried to play with Ranić, which is 4-2-2-2. Yeah, 4-2-2-2-2. Yeah. So 
So yeah. effectively, no, four two two. Yes, that's why they looked so much better. They're dirty yeah. players on the pitch. <laughs> they basically had four. I mean, I know you know that they were going off for finding space, and you saw Ward Prowse pop out out wide twice in the second half and set up the two goals. But effectively, we had four central midfield players playing against against Tottenham's two. So not only were they completely dominating in midfield, they were also dominating out wide, and it just meant that Spurs just had no area really, of the, no useful area of the pitch where they were dominant. And it just makes things incredibly difficult, I think. To, to win a game like that against someone half-decent like Southampton, maybe that's sending them a bit short, actually. No, sure. But like anyone that level or above, you're going to really struggle to win a game when you don't have like a, a, an area of the pitch where you're like dominating the ball. And you saw that in the number of chances. I mean, Spurs had, what, I think three shots on target in the game. And Southampton had the three goals they scored. The two times Broger went through on goal, one in the first half, one in the second half. Was it Armstrong who hit the bar from Ross Bar, yeah, as well in the first? Perot, that was. So, you know, loads of good. Was a pro. Yeah, who was a, who was brilliant, by the way. Not that's relevant. He's very good. But... No, 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 we <laughs> don't no, no, say that. No, no, it's it's okay. We don't we don't we don't need to concentrate on how good Southampton were because um, otherwise people be walking away from here in even greater terms. And of course, I should make the point as well to apologise. Uh, I should have said at the top of the show for all those people who thought that the neighbours discussion in the last podcast should have gone even longer. We will try and return to it before <laughs> the end of, of of this podcast. And this is it is this midfield thing because although clearly three of Spurs' defenders had very very poor nights. Um, the two on the right, and I thought you know, Ben Davis obviously contributed to their equaliser. It's in midfield, Charlie. You just looked at it and thought, after 20 minutes, mm. the manager, who is, you know, by everybody's estimation, a tremendous football manager, after 25 minutes, I'd have changed that. Mm. You can't, they were getting overrun. There's no mm. other word for it. Yeah, I think there, there were a few issues. Um, obviously, that midfield is a big one. And I think you'd probably say that's the they're the third and fourth choice uh, Hoybjörn Winks now I think for most people Skip and Bentoncourt would be the first choice too so obviously they're playing you know the third and fourth fourth choice and they're not I don't know if they can really do that job it's it's not an easy job when you are outnumbered so yeah so that was one option do you add another midfielder Bentoncourt obviously came off the bench and looked really good and he in the piece I did on him and kind of discussions around that learned that he he does prefer playing in a three himself anyway so that might suit him but obviously the big issue as well is the wingbacks that we talked about before and how important they are to this Conte system and I think Regulon does a good job Royale doesn't offer enough going forward I mean it's such an important job and you think of the guys who've done it we always talk about Victor Moses but Hakimi as well uh, Inter absolutely rapid and obviously that's what they were hoping to get with Traore someone on that flank who can offer a threat I mean it's it's a very very hard position to do well uh, mm-hmm. especially if you're a fullback and you're used to getting the ball with everything in front of you and what you offer on an attacking in an attacking sense can sometimes be seen as a bonus as a as a wing as a wing back it's a prerequisite you have to be doing that you have to be getting the ball in advanced areas and taking fullbacks on and that's really really hard to do you either have to be extremely quick or extremely skillful and Royale is a good solid right back He's not really well suited to doing that. And if you're a team like Southampton, you can basically funnel Spurs over to that side and say, like what Watford did in that game, which Spurs were pretty fortunate to win, where they let Royale cross it again and again and again. And so I do wonder how much it will change as and when Skip returns to the team and when Benton Kerr is fully acclimatised and starts starting games. But yeah, it, it clearly wasn't working. And I think at half time, Spurs had had two shots. Southampton had something like 15. I mean, it was it was mad. And I know shots is now a bit of a facile metric, but, sure. you know, that, Look, it but, tells I mean, I a think story. I we all know that 
they they had good chances Southampton. Yeah, they it's did. Not, yeah. It's not like yeah. You know, yeah, 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 they yeah. were all pot. They no. weren't all pot shots from twenty five yards from the from the left back, were they? They were. They had good chances as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fifteen shots to two at half time. Matter of interest, because we've never actually all physically met, though I am going to be in London at the weekend. Uh, how tall are you? James is six five. I'm six six foot one and a half. This is this is the this may be the tallest and podcast ever assembled. Because uh, despite my uh, uh, superbly upholstered other shape, I'm six foot two. Are so you? We're going, we, yeah, I know. <laughs> hard to tell, isn't it? Off, off top of a TV screen. Yeah. Um, so wow, we are. How, that is how, a very tall podcast. So J- Jack Pickford. We should about, be the back three. <laughs> about five. <laughs> James in the centre. Hang on. Are any, are, is anyone left footed? I've I've, no. I've got an all right left foot. Oh, here we go. But I, I am outfitted. I'm happy to play on the left of the three. For the podcast to um, to assume national average statistics, then I take it that uh, Jack Pitbrook is what four foot eleven, four foot ten. Yeah, that's about right. I think. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> In that yeah, ballpark, yeah. is he a yeah. squirt? Yeah, he's a <laughs> squirt, yeah, he's isn't he? He's, he's a squirt. Yeah, one hundred percent. Look, I I can't get into the the argument about if you don't have good enough players at wing back. Why are we playing that system? Because he is absolutely wedded. I would go further. I'd change one syllable in a style of word or one word. He's welded to three at the back. (laughs) So um, Emerson Royale, I I don't buy this that he's a good defender at the moment. I can't see that either because the two goals that they conceded late on, he, he, he didn't. He didn't challenge for the ball, did he? I mean, in fact... Well, he went in argue, with like a karate kick for the first one. It was bizarre. You could easily argue that of the three far post crosses he was involved with in the game, his most effective act- action was to put Kane off for the one that he headed over the bar. <laughs> that was quite good defending, yeah. He really did, just, just did enough, didn't he? Yeah, put he Kane did, off. yeah. Just eased him out uh, of the way. Um, and Kane, as a result, uh, Clint Hoddle described it as headed the ball too hard into the ground. Uh, <laughs> it's a mad moment. I mean, I, I found myself, and forgive me, I found myself saying, at least we know that Doherty has played two good seasons in that position in the Premier League. I mean, he's one of probably, what, like three or four specialists in that position in the Premier mm. League? If yeah. That, I mean, there can't, there can't be that many. And was pre- presumably bought to specialise in that position. Well, he but that's the mad thing. He came as a wing back, and then he had to try and learn to be a fullback, and really struggled to do that. And then it's almost like he was de-skilled. I mean, but we saw against Leicester, maybe not in the most sustainable way, but he did come on and make a big difference. And it's actually interesting because at Juve, they had this routine that they all they kept doing where Pirlo would dink. Uh, sort of angled through balls to Licksteiner, who was playing in that right wing back role. And I know the Licksteiner we saw in the Premier League was not no, someone who was a doing fantastic that, he, player for 10 years prior to that. Yeah, he was very, very effective at doing that. And that was Doherty's game. And, and that's exactly the run Doherty makes for um, the Bergvine equaliser at Leicester. So he is better suited to it. The problem is, can he do the other stuff? You've got to be so, so fit to play that role. I asked Conte about it before the game what, what, what's need of that role? And he did that thing, he sort of started laughing and talking about how much you've got to run. And you think how much you have to run in any position under Conte. So you have to be so fit. And I just wonder if Doherty can do that for 90 minutes. Uh, I've got to say, like, to me, and obviously Antonio Conte knows way more about football than than I do. and, And particularly how you, like, get that system to flourish. But if I'm looking at that position... If I haven't got a player who can do both the attacking bit and the defensive bit, I want a player that can do one or the other. And I'm looking at Royale in that position last night. And look, we know his attacking play isn't the best. And as Charlie says, he had started to actually play quite well at right back in a, in a back four before Nuno left. But some of the stuff that was going on yesterday, particularly in the first half, and this is all playing out in front of me in the stadium, where 
I mean, Royale kept coming narrow, almost as if he was becoming the right-sided centre-back of the three. And it was Sanchez who was then going out to engage the wide, the Southampton wide player, Perrault, as he went across the ball. And I don't, I'm sure that can't possibly have been the plan. Mm. And I'm not talking about like Sanchez went out to engage the Southampton player and then Royale tucked into cover. It happened the other way around. Yeah. Royale came in and then Sanchez went out. And I don't understand like what why you would do that. And live in the stadium, Charlie tweeted out that um, Southampton, or was it Jack, one of them, t- t- tweeted out that um, that Southampton were targeting Sanchez and Royale. And again, I take limited notice of statistics about passing because defenders in the modern world do a lot of passing, don't they? But between them, those two lost the ball 34 times in the game in mm. passing movements. And you've got the double problem there that Sanchez, who I've tended to defend, because he's 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 fast and 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 he he's athletic and I I like that in a defender. But he he had one of those games last night where you think, uh, you know, he, he just he just unravels um, the yeah. whole thing around him. Well, and he and he and Emerson Royal were, were just we have to use the words it's terrible. It's it's it's, in, it's interesting actually because I've rewatched it in a bit of detail. And what happens is, so those two, as we know, were kind of having shockers throughout. And the thing is, like, collapses like Spurs had often don't happen in isolation. Sometimes they do, and they're just freakish, and you write them off as, like, one of those nights. I don't think this really worked. I don't think anyone watching that game would have been surprised if they'd been told, oh, by the way, in the last 10 minutes, uh, Roy Allen Sanchez are going to mess up, basically. It was coming yeah. all game. You could see it. They were really uncertain. And then and for the first goal, they get in a... Uh, sorry, for the equaliser, the, the 2-2 goal, they get in a bit of a muddle. And they're really going at each other. Sanchez is re- is really getting at Royale, saying, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? The ball, basically, from kickoff, comes to Royale. He takes a not very good touch, is forced to play a not ideal pass to Sanchez, who gets it. The ball's not fully under control, and he just launches it because he mm. doesn't trust himself, and he doesn't trust Royale that he can do anything else. Southampton get the ball back, and Spurs touch it for about a second. Davis clears the ball, and other than that, the ball's in the back of their net again within 90 seconds. And I just think it was a consequence of how uncertain they looked, and, and Conte must be just counting the minutes until Dyer comes back and he gets Dyer yeah. in the middle of that defence. Romero can move to the right and hopefully give it a bit of security because I do think as well, in the fe- if you're being kind to Royale or fair, depending on your perspective, he he has been playing that position largely with Davinson Sanchez, who I think has been good. I think he... he, he you know, he's certainly improved ahead of a lot, but he's not a great ball carrier. He's not someone like Romero. You, you look at what Davis offers on the other side and that helps Regulon so much. A is more solid secu- uh, from a defensive point of view, but he also offers something in the attacking sense. He's and better that helps pass on the ball as well. The ball yeah. arrives into Reguilon's path in a slightly better trajectory than watching Davinson and, and, and Emerson effectively, as you say, in, in, in a kind of a knife fight where neither believes that the other is going to pass the ball properly to mm. them. I would say Davis. Davis probably has the right mentality for that position as well because I think he's very level-headed. He doesn't he doesn't really ever do anything rashly, and I don't think he generally reacts badly to mistakes or whatever. So I think like the idea that you're putting a lot of pressure on a player like that to be involved in attacking play and to like be more expansive. I I, I don't think Davis is as likely to react in the way that Sanchez mm. did to like early mistakes in that game, where clearly he was just completely head gone after like the equaliser basically. Well, we, yeah, because we saw that last night. I mean, Davis made a pretty bad error for the first equaliser. And that was one. That's just quite unfortunate. Well, I don't think he, that, yeah. Yeah, I don't think he then had a especially um, 
bad game after that. Now that I've discovered um, that James is six foot five, I'm speaking to him with a newfound respect. I have to say, um, <laughs> finally, he, he's no. Yes, he's no longer just relying. He could be lying to you, Danny. I mean, there's no. You... Oh, we'll soon find out, won't we? Can I stand um, up now? Yeah. Well, I, that, I still won't know, will I? You're on a screen. Unless you, you have to, unless, n- unless you can drive your head into the light bulb above you, then I, I will stand in the door doorway. Right that'd now, be though. very, very good. Get Peter Crouch there. Stand next to him, so we have frame of reference. Oh uh, no, no, no! I do have a photo of me and Peter Crouch, Danny. I'll send you that afterwards. There you that go. That'd be very, very good. Um, yeah, because now I've found a respect because of your height. Where previously you were relying on mere institutional power over me. Four players like yesterday had truly, you know, looking at it, really bad games. We talked about Sanchez and uh, and we talked about Emerson Royal. The two central midfielders were terrible. Yeah. Is it that they yeah. all had an off day together? Uh, James, or is it that they are not good enough for the level of football they're being asked to play at? I'm asking you, and I mean, that's the direct question. I, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because with Winks and Hoiberg in, in different systems, we've seen them both play well. And, and they've both played well in this system recently as well. And so Sanchez this season. Romero, I think, is playing in a position that he just, uh, it, it, at the moment, can't play. Whether or not that changes in the fullness of time, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, the, the, I mean the midfield was especially bad. I, I, I was I was surprised that uh, on an individual level how bad those two were. Uh, for me, I think Winks was actually probably the worst of the two. I mean, I don't know how you two would feel about that. And I, I was actually a little bit surprised when it was when it was Hoiberg that got hooked. Although, although they, 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 the TV on the TV they did show two moments where Hoiberg misplaced the ball and Conte was doing his nut on the sideline. Okay. So I, I, I think. He, in his mind, it was already a decision that did, it, it, Hoiberg was not pleasing the manager on the night. But then Nork and Winks, were, who reverted to, and look, we all understand you're under pressure. It's difficult. He reverted to that three three quarters of, of the field, uh, you know, a sort of 280 degree spin to play the ball backwards. Well, actually, if you can spin with the ball at your feet, play the ball forwards. Winks got caught out um, a couple of times quite crucially as well. There was one yeah. where... I, I mean, well, this that's is how... the, sec- the second one-on-one that Brozier had in yeah, the second exactly. half. Winks yeah, forward, and it? that was just after Spurs had mm. scored. I mean, it's mad how many chances that even after scoring to go 2-1 up. Um, I mean, uh, James Horncastle was interesting. I was talking to him about this and he was saying the player that they most miss and most need and that Conte will be most after is that register sitting in front of the defence who can pick up the ball and play it like Brozovic did... Uh, at Inter and they don't really have that. I mean Winks is trying to do that role but it's it's, it's very hard you know it, it's a very specialised position and it's again another thing that's so key to making Conte system work and, and I have, have, have had lots of messages one of our listeners Tim Gallery sent me an athletic style uh, long read of a message earlier which was very interesting but about how 352 uh, would suit the personnel better I, I guess the issue is you, you have to drop Mora to do that you and do. And the issue with that, is that Charlie, the, the knock-on issue, whatever about fairness, um, he'll still get paid whether it's fair or not. The issue there is that at the moment, Spurs are so lacking in creativity mm. from the wing-backs, from the central midfielders, yeah. that what they are is a team of eight defensive players and, would you count the numbers again, and three very good forward players who can make something happen between them and did several times... Uh, last night, if you reduce I mean, just, that, so, just, if you reduce that by thirty three and a third percent, I'm not sure what you're left with. Just to go back to what Charlie was saying about the register, so you're saying you need a register in, the, or, or people are saying you need a register in this team to play deep in midfield. If you're putting Ben Tanker in there, we're saying the other midfielder is going to need to be someone cre- like properly creative, so they're going to bring in someone else as well, mm. and then you're 
putting Lucas out of a team. There's nowhere in the team for the other bloke they've just signed from Juventus. I mean, I, I, no, I think he would be in the team. I think Benzico would be in the team as well. He, he no, play- sorry, I'm saying Kulusevski. Where oh, Kulusevski. Kulusevski's not a team. Is if you're playing Kane and Son up front, right? If you're playing that system, so you're bringing in another midfield player or another two midfield players <laughs> and a right wing back to play that system. I mean, it seems mad to me that like, yeah, it, you, it you're leaning so it, far towards that system that you're having to sign like six specialist players. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. I mean, it takes me back. A, a good friend of mine who I grew up with is a Spurs fan and he always say to me like you know we're only three or four players away and it became sort of a running joke yeah, and, of and, and yeah when you talk about it in those terms I mean that's yeah that, that is quite a long way to be a long way away to be but yeah I mean that that is the dilemma and also and this was something that Dan Kilpatrick tweeted and he got some flack for it but it was a good point you know that they obviously which James um, alluded to on Twitter yesterday that if they if you are going to sell Delhi and Dombele the sell so fine a lot of people are saying well they weren't playing anyway they've been crap yeah that's true but they are they are limited in their midfield options they have midfielders who can play who are neat and tidy who are basically seeding you know much creativity to other players they can't control a game with what they've got at the moment. They can't control a game with the midfielders they've got now. And you're then relying on some players, i.e. the right wing back, to provide the creativity, and, and that's an issue. To finish on the, on the central midfielders, they struggled to get past Southampton's press and yet didn't press, except for 15 minutes at the start of the second half, didn't press effectively enough themselves. They let James Ward-Prowse, who is their best, Southampton's best player, run the game. And whether you do that by pressing by man-marking, whatever you do, what you don't do is let him have uh, in infinite touches of the ball um, to get first to the left-back who was causing Spurs nightmares, wasn't he? And then latterly in the game to give him crossing practice for the two goals they did get. Watching that third goal, obviously he just equalised for the second and it reminded me then in rugby, you talk about getting the off in the fly half in the pocket like Johnny Wilkinson in, uh, in the Rugby World what? Cup. You get him in the pocket to hit drop goals. That's what they rugby. were doing. They're basically yeah. working the space. How yep. can we work rugby. it to give Ward Prowse to get the free ball? A couple of rugby. And, That's um, worse than neighbours. What's going on? What's happened to this podcast? Well, the numbers just keep going at so much. We have to, oh we have to wipe God. out the popularity by speaking about other things. There are people who don't even... Don't uh, even listeners, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. There are people, uh, James, who don't even know that don't even know what football is who now listen to this podcast. We have to we have to feed them something. Your point being, exactly your point being, Southampton's system, once they realized that Spurs were not going to defend properly, was we will we will run us run into the spaces to leave James all that space behind us to pick out the pass. And it worked again and again and again. And for the second goal, the the first Ward Prowse cross. It is partly a consequence of the fact that Spurs are playing that midfield too, who aren't really mobile enough to to keep up. And Bentoncourt is sort of chasing around. He's being dragged this way and that way. And by the time the ball comes back toward Prowse, he's nowhere near him. And he can't get close enough to the cross. And on the second one, the second Ward Prowse assist, it's Son, who, yeah, obviously Son gets a bit of a pass because it's Son and he, you know, he's world class, but he doesn't get close enough to him. And and given the way Southampton pressed it, it doesn't look great. And the slight difference between the two goals, and they were very similar, was it in the first one, the goal scorer runs off. I think, I'm, I could be wrong, I think it was Winks, who just doesn't go with him. The second one, the blokes just stood there and Emerson Royale just doesn't attempt to... Look, I, I'm not I'm not Antonio Conte. I'm far too tall for a start, um, since height has now become the the main differential <laughs> in this state, in this podcast. Want to listen to a tall podcast? 
that's the one. Um, let's talk about the two recent acquisitions who made, I thought, very different impressions in their cameos last <laughs> evening. Betancourt, first of all, we have to discuss, although it's eating into the neighbor's time, what his, why his arms are so long and who he's reminding mm. us of. There was a, a lot of discussion about this in our little WhatsApp group, which should, of course, soon be converted into a Twitter group. Um, was it you who identified the James the the the, the, the Berbatov arms, or was that somebody no, it, else? It was it wasn't me. That that's been that was on Twitter. Quite a yeah. few people were. Yeah, were very good. Yeah. Someone made the comparison of Edu, the former midfielder, the former Arsenal and Brazil midfielder, mm-hmm. and I thought that was quite a good one. He's got that sort of quite upright elegance to him, neat and tidy passer. He looks. I mean, I, look, you know, we should dwell on the positives a little bit. Yes. He looks really good, like properly good. Yeah, and I know it's easy to get excited no, about no, a player quite. on the basis of what like some sort of forty-five minutes football we've seen over the two games. But he he looks like a really really good player. He's really he is really good. He he basically just got hammered at Juve for not being Pirlo or Pjanic. But you know you don't need to be that level to come in and improve <laughs> no. this Spurs midfield. Having read all of that stuff over the last couple of weeks, not just on the Athletic but elsewhere, I kind of was almost expecting this guy just to be a complete clogger. I don't, and that's no, no, no. seen him play and having seen him play really well before. He's like incredibly good on the ball. And he does the thing that not many other players at Tottenham do, which is actually take the ball under pressure and turn and move it quickly. Yeah. Rather than faffing around doing your, you know, as Danny says, your Harry Wings. But pirouettes, yeah. 180, yeah, yeah. turn to give it back to it vaguely in a direction. No, no. And from. again, it's, it's just as I will not condemn the glacial body movements of Kulusevsky on the side, on two two slight, slight appearances, you can't go mad. But there was that moment, we all know it. It, where he got the ball on the half turn, he resisted with a mixture of strength and skill, the Southampton presser, and then he pinged the ball 40 yards out to Emerson Royal. Waste of time, I know. But it, but it was obviously something <laughs> that hadn't been happening in the rest of the game. Spurs yeah. were taking three touches to get the, that pass away, by which time Southampton's players were back in position. And it was at least, and you're right, you know, uh, it's not a very high bar, but at least it looked like there, there is some improvement coming down the pipeline. So if we're going to play two in midfield, to that, to that Spurs midfield. Well, how long have we been talking about that as well? Not having midfielders who can move the ball forward. It's been such a, an issue for such a long time, pretty much since uh, Dembele went. More well, on that later. Uh, who we will talk about a little later in the podcast, because of course he's now announced his retirement. It's no coincidence that like, in the first 15 minutes he was on the pitch, that was Spurs' best spell of the game until the next substitution. And again, you don't want to hammer Kulusevski, but I think that change really didn't work. But between those two substitutions, Spurs were very, very good. The, the problem that people have spotted with Kulusevski, and we haven't seen him with the with the whole field in front of him, with the ball mm. at his feet, and you know making going into the Gareth Bale afterburners situation. But people, um, he hasn't had a chance to display what he can do with the ball yet, really. But people already noted that in a Premier League where pace is of paramount importance, he looks extremely slow at this stage, or is he just not quite up to Premier League readiness? Well, he 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 is said to be deceptively quick, which I know will um, I as opposed hear to deceptively screaming, slow. Saying, what the <laughs> fuck does that mean? And better when he's got kind of the play in front of him, right? You know, sort of picking the lock, that sort of thing, rather than burning into um, spaces left behind in a way that you know someone like Mora is probably better at. And also, it might be a case. he hasn't played a huge amount this season. No, he's come up to speed. Look, I'm not suggesting that his appearances have been massively encouraging, but he it is a couple of pretty short sub-appearances. Yeah. I wouldn't be writing him Look, off just yet. No, no. You're, you're asking him to play like sort of intricate, 
like, like exchanges of passes, like interplay with, with two other attacking players who have played together loads and know each other's movements. So you're suddenly chucking yeah, him in and saying, "That's fair." Get get involved in this. So it's obviously very difficult. And I don't think there was anything he did last night, that, like, like any one thing that he did that made me think, "What what is that?" Mm. But his, his movement looked incredibly awkward. And I don't. He was basically playing on the right wing. Like all his touches, all his involvement was right out on that touchline. Where in that system, surely you are after that player kind of being involved inside as well. Like it kind what of seemed Mora to does. me like suddenly we had like a right winger on the pitch and he didn't really ever get involved inside. Well, they'd gone to a four, hadn't they? So he wasn't expecting Emerson to come roaring past him. But to me, it seemed like he was completely isolated from the game, really. Like he wasn't really involved in the game. He was just kind of playing <laughs> an island. Yeah, nothing. Uh, no, less mobile than the average island. Um, <laughs> the, 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 by that stage, of course, everything was going wrong. They just, they just couldn't find each other with the ball. It, there were times when, and I know you've, you're right to say, the two of you, that there have been several of these moments under uh, Conte. But the, the, there were parts in, the, in that last half an hour where it reminded me of that infamous England game against Iceland where players, mm. you know, good professional footballers, and in some cases very good professional footballers, the real, even the basics were evading them. The basics of passing to a man 15 feet away was, were evading them. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting comparison, Danny, because England for so long have struggled to play through midfield. They just they haven't really created those players. They've had a big dearth of them. And, and Spurs, th- there is a similarity there. You do watch Spurs sometimes, and they just don't really have those kind of progressive midfield players and you do lose control I mean you think of the the 2018 World Cup semi-final against Croatia which was maybe the most like vivid example of that how Modric just completely took control of that game and England's midfielders were nowhere and yeah there was a little bit of that last night I I wanted to ask you guys as well just your thoughts on this Conte talked about how Tottenham are too emotional too up and down and obviously, the juxtaposition of that with him going absolutely mad has been pointed out by many people, you know, shushing the Southampton coaching staff and this sort of thing after Spurs went 2-1 up. I mean, do, do you think he, do you think there's a link between those things? Do you think he needs to practice what he preaches or does that not really matter? No, I don't, I don't think, I mean, if like all that stuff had happened after the second goal and he'd been giving it to the Southampton bench and it had all been kicking off and then in the last 20 minutes of a game... Spurs were way too aggressive and they were herring off after the ball and mm. going in for terrible challenges and like being like they completely lost their heads in that sense. I could kind of see how that might be linked. But uh, the way they lost that game, I don't, it didn't feel like it was kind of an, in a psychological sense and aligned to that. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean, it yeah. wasn't like there was too much passion. Yeah. They weren't it, too it, aggressive. It, it was more like there was a lack of 10 minutes. Like a lack of belief almost more than yeah. anything else. What would cool heads have done? Yesterday, what they needed was to attack the blinking ball as it was coming into their penalty area to go back. Well, to I guess at two one, you you get on the ball and you keep it for a bit and you take the sting out of it, which they weren't really able to do. They didn't, I don't think the team is set up to be able to do that. That's kind of my point. I don't I don't think when you're set up with that two in midfield and the players they have playing there at the moment, I don't think they can put their foot on the ball really that much and and resist it. You know, they haven't got you know quote unquote press resistant players like Ndombele now, so I think it's quite difficult to to kind of put your foot on the ball and dominate a game like that. They can move the ball up the pitch quickly, but I don't think that they can kind of, you know, put their foot on the ball and knock it around back to the centre-backs and back and forth. Not when they're under pressure anyway. Obviously, if they're, if they're 1-0 down and the other team has sat back, then that's a different case, isn't it? But I don't think they can, at 2-1, kind of dominate a game in that way and control a game in that way at the moment. 
Listen, we'll have a quick break. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the retirement of Moose Dembele. And if we thought that there were tears the other day on this podcast um, when Deli Ali left the club, I suspect we may need a double-sized box of tissues in the second half of this. You're listening to The View from the Lane. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. The other voices you're listening to today, slightly subdued following that poor result um, against Southampton, James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. And as I say, on the podcast uh, perhaps 10 days ago, the departure of Delhi Alley from the club, for various reasons, was bringing a tear to the eyes of grown men. And we had a very, very sad discussion about his departure. I saw some similar themes in, in the news announced a few days ago that Moussa Dembele has finally uh, hung up his boots and retired from the game. And particularly Spurs fans, some Fulham fans do, but particularly Spurs fans, were remarking that, you know, he was just a fantastically good footballer and much missed and never replaced by Spurs. In fact, in the once again, the Athletic led the way. Our colleague, uh, Jack Pitbrook, wrote a piece, James, outlining, presumably you, you, you probably dictated to him, it was so well written, I thought you might have dictated it to him, about just how important Moussa Dembele was when Spurs were any good. Yeah, and we were saying in the first half of the podcast, you know, how Spurs struggle to control a game in midfield at the moment and they don't have the pressure-resistant players and that was what Moussa Dembele was for Spurs. He allowed them to to play the game on their terms, didn't he? He, he they, they could play at their own pace and play at their own speed, whether that was overwhelming the opposition by playing much faster or slowing it down and, and controlling the game because he could he could just completely set the tempo. And that's not just by passing the ball, it's by holding on to it and, you know, doing that kind of eel-like movement that he would, you know, back and forth between opposition players. Uh, and that's clearly something very hard to replicate and something that Spurs haven't been able to replace in the last, what, four, three years? It's a while now. Yeah, time is passing by. Yeah, and, it, I, it, you know, you just have to look at that game last night and you think if, if Moussa Dembele had been there, that they would have been able to control the game in a completely different way and in a far more capable way. I mean, are we are we over-egging the, the Moussa Dembele pudding here, Charlie? No, I mean, he he's such an interesting one because his legend has sort of burned brighter the longer time has gone on. I mean, like, he was obviously appreciated at the time, but how invaluable... I don't think people realise quite how invaluable he was until the years since because the, the fact he's... He, he's almost... He was such a unique skill set in some ways yeah. that he was almost impossible to replace. And I know I know there are players who do a similar thing, but not really in that sort of way. And 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 also the fact that he, like a musician who, this sounds a bit morbid, who died young. That's maybe a bit uh, mm-hmm. 
of a weird way of putting it, but because his period of being amazing was very, very short, actually, and he was cut down by injuries almost in his prime, I think that there wasn't... Yes, there was a small period where he in his final season before he moved to China, where he clearly wasn't what he once was. But that was a pretty small period. He didn't have like a long... He didn't have like a few years worth of decline like some players But do. also, to Our be so, sorry, really Charlie, of him. He, he had a window of absolute excellence because when he first got to Tottenham, he didn't quite do it. You know, we couldn't really see what uh, that was there mm. in him. He had about two and a half seasons where everything was right. He was in a, he was in a terrific team as well. He made the team more terrific, but the team was also terrific around him. Just the pace of the fullbacks to find with the occasional pass. But you're right. His arrival was unspectacular. His departure was like the sun going down at the, at the equator. He hasn't got... He's not a 10-year sort of no. legend of the club. He had yeah. those two seasons, roughly, where he was just unstoppable. Exactly. He has that Paul Scholes thing where every player just raves mm. about him. And I was looking... I've got... Qu- Dembele of Tottenham? The, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Scholesy would be delighted with that, I'm sure. But Paul Scholes a better finisher. I always thought about it, Musa. That if <laughs> yeah, he, if he could finish, he'd be a terrible finisher. If he could finish, because often he's at the edge of the box, you think just stroke that in, you can pass. Just so pass when he played for Arze Alkmaar in Holland, he he won the league under Van Gaal, and there's a video on YouTube of all the goals he scored that season. He was centre forward. Yeah, that's right. For them. And it's, it's unbelievable to see him score like 20 goals in a season. It's, it, it, honestly, if you haven't seen this before, I think we might have talked about this on the podcast before. If you we, haven't we've seen spoken it, about it in conversation, James. It's a similar thing. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go and find it. I, I'll tweet it later. It's, it's, it's so weird to see this guy score loads of different James goals. James is so important now, Charlie. He imagines that his every thought is being recorded for posterity. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, good course. And I, it occurred to me when he was in his golden uh, vein of form, God, if this fellow got eight goals, nine goals a season, he, he, of course he wouldn't be at Spurs, he'd be at Real Madrid, wouldn't he? I no, think no. Martin Yol said something to that effect, didn't he? That he was, you know, he was like the best player he ever played with, and my God, if he could actually have scored a few. I mean, occasionally he would as well, even at Spurs. There was that one, was it Leon? He scored on his debut. Yeah, he scored on his debut. Was it Leon in the Europa League? James? Yeah, really last good minute. You- equalised it a bit, Spurs for Yeah, him. like he did, he, occasionally he would. And again, in in a... A way that some truly classy premium players do. They their goals are so sparing. It's almost as if goals are like a little bit beneath them. You know, that's kind of yeah, it's, that that's it's th- true. That's for the plebs. I'll I'll stick to just running the game from midfield. Who are you thinking of there? Well, someone like Pirlo. I know he scored the a few... exact example. Yeah, yeah. really. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's obviously, who I, he that's scored... who I was trying to mind transfer into your mind. Yes. Oh, I'm glad we're on the same wave. Yeah, Pirlo um, obviously could have could have scored more goals. Just flick the ball off to other people. Yeah. Yeah, I'd rather just play sumptuous passes than the kind of yeah, the more simple act of booting the ball into the back of the net. Have you have you ever read an interview with Pirlo? He's just like a he's just a footballer. It's really disappointing. He's just like going on about playing PlayStation and stuff like anyone else. It's really underwhelming. You mean if besides you actually, like, his book? Have you actually like? Have you, yeah, that's isn't it? Have you actually like? Have you actually like read an interview with him? He's just like yeah, you know, I went home and played PlayStation after the game. But he's but uh, you you're about to mention his book there, Charlie, where he where he comes on like James Bond half the time. Yeah, <laughs> I have to say though, like just the other day, I was watching a Juve thing and. I know it's so boring, but he is like it's him like behind the scenes thing at Juventus. He's wearing this like red jacket and he and these sunglasses. I know it's 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 been done now. Yeah, we know Pillow's really cool, but fuck me, that guy is just on another level cool. All right, well that's that, that's Musa Dembele, and it's interesting, isn't it? We're having a rational conversation about him and how brilliant he was, whereas with uh, about Deli Ali, we had a completely irrational. 
um, conversation about how brilliant he was. If you probably compare the two players at their peaks, Dembele's a much better player, but that's not been reflected either in social media or even now. I suppose I need to, uh, as I say, at the top of the podcast, I mentioned just the sheer amount of congratulations and felicitations we received for our dissection of the greatest hits of Neighbours uh, the other day. And I know, uh, James, that you were delighted that the podcast had finally turned its attention to the long-running Australian soap. Yeah, I was ecstatic that the first six minutes of that podcast were, were taken up by Neighbours. I, I, like you, Danny, I've never I've never been a fan. And to be honest, my, my a lot of people watched it when I was at school. Yeah. And it was it was mostly the posh boys that watched it, so I don't know if that kind of tally. Oh, to fuck off! <laughs> uh, <laughs> <with this podcast. laughs> well, well, I thought about this it. Is just, I mean, just because I mentioned rugby, <laughs> yeah. What part of rugby makes you uh, leap? Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned <laughs> rugby, neighbours, and your Christmases at Balmoral. Other than that, there was no hint. <laughs> the holy <laughs> There's no hint. Um, I have never seen a, a jot of it, as I said, but hearing anybody talk enthusiastically about something is always brilliant for me. And I, the reason I let it run um, in my uh, role as on-air producer here is, of course, it struck me, this is not live radio, where you turn it on, you think, oh, God, they're still going on about neighbours. Podcasts are literally the, the most perfect thing ever invented, beyond mini-disc even, for skipping what you don't want to hear. There's that little dot at the bottom, and you can move it with your finger, you can move it with a pen, you can use a mouse if you're still old-fashioned enough to use a mouse. Indeed, there are all kinds of bits of the human body you can use. Just move it along till you get to hear the bit about, I don't know, um, Davidson Sanchez's passing that you want to hear. No Though, in, in his defence, there are times listening to a podcast and you might be doing something like doing the washing up and oh. therefore you're you're like, oh, to have to fast forward this neighbour's chat, I need to wash my hands again and da 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 And uh, maybe that's what he was doing. Maybe that's why it was so frustrating for him. That, and also, apologies that we've left neighbours till last this time mm. for all of you who have been oh, yeah. frantically fast forwarding. That's much better because people can then just stop listening. Well, I, Most probably have by now. Um, James, I, I try not to make products where people just stop listening if, if, if I can avoid it. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, well, listen, but thank you both for your contributions for the last 45 minutes. This, this has actually been quite a difficult one for, for me because, as I say, I thought the game against Southampton was an absolutely must-win uh, fixture, and I'm now... Little, I don't think it is, by the way. I'm, I think yeah. fourth is still... There's enough ineptitude in all the rivals. It, it, until United sort it out, I think Spurs are still my favourites to get it. With the games in hand, I think they had one free hit and they've probably lost that now. So I think now you're looking at like games like Wolves and Leeds now, they probably are going to need to win. Yeah, I mean, the, the crazy thing is as well that the Le the Leicester miracle, in a way, has sort of been undone. You're negated, yeah. Yeah, which is and anybody frustrating who saw, given how good that felt. And anybody who saw um, Rio Ferdinand, ex-Manchester United, Noen Hargreaves, ex-Manchester United, declaring on television the other day that they will win every <laughs> single one of their remaining yeah. fixtures... Um, uh, I'm afraid the top that was three, amazing. the top three in English football are pretty good teams and behind that there is a, a, a whole lot of mess and yeah. not, not Charlie Eaton mess um, but there is a whole <laughs> lot of mess um, and, and hopefully Spurs can still find a way to arise like a phoenix from that quagmire uh, it's been great fun thank you both we'll of course be back next in a few days' time when Spurs were played again. And if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can read all of our articles on Spurs, including uh, Jack's tribute to Moussa Dembele and Charlie's bit on Rodrigo Bentancur, as well as everything else on the site. It's a massive amount of stuff by going to theathletic.com 
forward slash Spurs pod. And right now, you can get 33% off a full subscription. We're back Monday. Thanks you all for listening. The Athletic.